This episode is brought in part to you by Audible, your go-to destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Whether you're looking for a hair-raising experience to enjoy while you're on the move or eager to dive into sinister and shocking tales, Audible has an exclusive collection of thrillers from best-selling authors that will keep you on the edge of your seat. Like James Patterson's first audio-only thriller, The Coldest Case. Experience stories like never before, where every chilling detail is brought to life by captivating sound design. Plus, as an Audible member, choose one title a month to make yours forever. And now, new members can try Audible free for 30 days. Just visit audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. That's audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. Sound the gifting panic alarm. We've all been there. You need to find the perfect gift. You have absolutely zero ideas and you don't know where to start. Relax. Now you can use gift mode on Etsy. Gift Mode takes the stress out of gifting, so you can find the perfect item for anyone and any occasion. Just answer a few short questions about who you're shopping for and what they like, and Gift Mode gives you curated gift ideas based on hundreds of personas. Imagine pages of artisan espresso mugs for the coffee connoisseur in your life. Or for the pickleballer, customized paddle covers in every shade imaginable. Etsy's got you covered. Need to find the perfect gift? Don't panic. Try Gift Mode on Etsy now. Five, four, three, two, one. But who's counting, right? His name is Major. Oh, ladies and gentlemen. Please welcome Major Garrett. From the nation's capital. Major, fantastic. It's the takeout. This is a major achievement. With CBS News Chief Washington Correspondent... Major Garrett. Yes, CBS. Yes, hi. Major Garrett. Major, that's nonsense. And you should know better. Is Major out of the doghouse? (laughs) The answer is yes. Welcome to the very best part of my broadcast week. I'm Major Garrett. This is The Takeout. Thanks for hanging out with us. Thanks for finding us. And whichever way you do, our beloved early adopters on all podcast platforms, CBS News Streaming, of course, that's why we have the cameras here. POTUS, Sirius XM, POTUS Channel 124, and more than 70 radio stations across our great country. Thanks so much for being here. You know, I love this show because I have all authority over what we do with this show week to week. I decide. And this week we're going to do a little podcast cross-pollination. What do I mean by that? Well, CBS has an excellent new podcast available on all those podcast platforms called Missing Justice. Justice is a very important concept in our country, and when it's missing or goes missing, or there's not even really an attempt to find it, that's a story. And that's why I have Kara Cordy here and Bo Erickson. They are colleagues of mine at CBS News. They are the reporters and authors of Missing Justice and the podcast, which has now gone through five episodes. The sixth episode will be next week. Kara Cordy, Bo Erickson, thank you for joining us. Thank you for having us. Uh, Kara, I want you to start with us because you end every episode by reminding people of something they may not know. And a lot of people in the greater D.C., Virginia, Maryland area may not know it. We live and work on ancestral lands, do we not? We do. Anyone who's listening to this (laughs) lives and works on ancestral native land. That's something that I was introduced to for the first time actually on the campaign trail. Bo and I both covered the 2020 uh, presidential campaign. I covered Senator Bernie Sanders. And a lot of his events started with what's called uh, land recognition. And that was usually an indigenous person coming on stage, reciting some kind of prayer in their native language and recognizing what came before us to be there in that in that moment. And that was something Bo and I talked about really early on in this project was that we wanted in some way to include some kind of recognition in the project because it's just not something I was ever taught growing up in in school. And I think it's something that a lot of us could think about more often about the circumstances that led us all to be here. And ladies and gentlemen, that question to Kara is a clue about what Missing Justice is about. It is about the pursuit and search for justice Native American lands in our country, specifically in Montana and Wyoming, correct? 
UFO? Yes, we focus on a case specifically out of the Northern Cheyenne Reservation in southeastern Montana. And we walk through this one specific case, a woman named Christy Woodenthigh, who unfortunately died when she was 33 years old in around March 6, 2020. We walk through what happened that night, her family's response to her death, and how the family and tribal leaders had to push federal law enforcement to first investigate her death. And then we follow as reporters how that investigation unraveled for the first four episodes. So let me ask you this, Kara. You and Bo are both Washington, D.C.-based reporters. What made you curious about whether or not justice exists or to the degree it does or doesn't exist on native lands? Why well, is that a D.C. story for D.C. reporters? It goes back uh, to back before the founding of this country, which uh, is that there was an exchange that happened over uh, you know, two centuries of time between the U.S. federal government and native tribes. And essentially, uh, the most basic trade was as the federal government is going to take away the tribe's land in exchange for... being displaced somewhere else. And also part of that trade was that the federal government pledged to protect native tribes. It's what's called a trust responsibility. This is federal legal doctrine. So the federal government is legally responsible to protect native people on native land. Um, Another thing that we weren't really familiar with during this process. And because of that link to the federal government, on some reservations like Northern Cheyenne, which we cover, there are federal police officers policing these lands and investigating these major crimes. So that is the link. You know, Mm -hmm. Northern Cheyenne is a reservation of 5,000 people. It's nowhere near Washington, Mm D.C. But the link to the federal government is very strong through this policing lens. And are native lands sovereign lands? And why, if that's true, does that matter in this story? They are sovereign lands. Bo, do you want to talk more about that? Yes, they are sovereign lands. They, when we enter Northern Cheyenne in our first episode, we are entering a different nation. You see both American flags. You do see some American flags, but what we really see is a Northern Cheyenne flag and it's a morning star and that's the flag that they fly and they feel representative of their tribe um but when we get to talk about sovereignty one of those aspects that go into sovereignty is the promise that the federal government made many years ago starting in 1868 with the northern cheyenne treaty saying that yes you will be uh, a sovereign nation but as this Uh, trust responsibility as this promise that the federal government is making to you, we will provide certain aspects of uh, benefits, certain aspects of services to you as a tribe. For instance, law enforcement here. Mm -hmm. They also do that with health services as well through the Indian Health Services Program. And so, yes. And so this sovereign uh, trust and responsibility between the federal government and tribes all throughout the country the Supreme Court has actually called this a moral obligation for the U.S. government to uphold. They have, we have to uphold this side of the bargain because tribal nations have upheld their side of the bargain. And Kara, there are lots of dimensions to this history, to this origin story for our country. But what you and Bo do is you look at one case, one victim, one defendant, and the actions or inactions of those responsible for trying to find out how this victim, Christy Woodenthigh, died. Is there someone criminally responsible? And if that person is charged, how successfully they are or are not charged. That is to illustrate these larger dimensions, correct? Exactly. Christy's story is a drop in the bucket of something called the missing and murdered indigenous people's crisis, uh, which there are plenty of numbers we can we can rattle off to show how Native Americans are subject to violence at higher rates, um, subject to homicide at at higher rates. And we want. Yes. For for example, um, these are numbers according to the CDC. Homicide is the sixth leading cause of death. For Native American women under 44, it's the third leading cause of death for Native American men. And if you compare that to white men, per se, under the age of 44, homicide is not even in the top 10 cause of death. Mm -hmm. So it is an actual crisis that many people in the community are familiar with. Um, We've seen this covered in mainstream media in 
true crime stories before. But what Bo and I wanted to do differently was that we found a lot of these stories were about one case. Um, and it's kind of a classic whodunit mystery. Mm-hmm. When you listen to this podcast, there is no mystery as to who was responsible. Uh, or we, we have to be very uh, particular with how we word this. There is no mystery around the parties at play mm-hmm. in Christie's the death. The parties involved. Yes, the, the, the parties involved. It's not a whodunit. This no. is an investigation into how this could happen what kind of mistakes were made and this is emblematic of thousands hundreds of thousands of other cases yeah, just like and, Christie's. and and it's a story about a system and is the system working and if it isn't who are the victims of a system that doesn't work mm-hmm. and that's the missing justice component mm-hmm. Bo. exactly yeah this is one story of many is how a former interior department official told us um because the system that we are specifically talking about is the federal government at the Interior Department. There's an agency there called the Bureau of Indian Affairs. And these officers are the ones that police and investigate these crimes. And what we were told over and over again through all of our conversations with the tribal leaders is that the system, you know, there's that adage of the system is broken. Well, this system is not living up to what it's supposed to be. They say if the system is staffed appropriately and it's given the amount of resources, they they think this would help public safety on many reservations throughout the country. That is the voice of Bo Erickson. He's also joined by his colleague and co-partner in the podcast Missing Justice, Kara Cordy. I'm Major Garrett. The joyful noise you hear around us, our host restaurant, Riss. We come here many off, many times. We're glad to be here again. More of our conversation about Missing Justice in segment two of The Takeout in just one moment. At Amica Insurance... We know it's more than just a house. It's your home, the place that's filled with memories. The early days of figuring it out to the later years of still figuring it out. For the place you've put down roots, trust Amica Home Insurance. Amica, empathy is our best policy. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. CBS News. This is The Takeout with Major Garrett. Welcome back to The Takeout. For those watching on CBS News streaming, Riss is our host restaurant. We're thankful to them as always. Kara Cordy and Bo Erickson are our guests. This is a little bit of cross-podcast pollination. I like to do that because obviously I believe in podcasts. They're a great way to find stories that help you understand something you may not have known well enough before that you're sort of curious about or you stumbled upon it and didn't even know you were curious about it until you were pulled in and let me tell you if you listen to missing justice you will be pulled in it is a, a significant amount of work and i'm very gra- grateful to have both of you here so every good story and every good podcast has a couple of compelling characters missing justice has two christy Woodenthigh, we've already mentioned her and gerard david three fingers who's gerard Bo? Gerard was Christie's uh, common-law husband and boyfriend for nine years, um, starting just after um, 2011-ish, going to about uh, March 6, 2020, the night that she died. And explain briefly, Bo, the circumstances of that death. So what happened, uh, what was told in court, and what we have from many uh, official records that we got from the federal government is that on the night of March 6, 2020, Christy was run over outside of her home and Gerard was behind the wheel. Of a truck. Of his SUV, yes. And proceeded to then um, tragically pick up Christy and drive five or so miles to his mother's house. And that is when emergency services 
were called. Um, and when those federal agents responded to the scene, they found Christy, unfortunately, dead on arrival. And she was in the back seat. She was in the back seat, yes. And, um, and so this was all testified to at the trial that we covered uh, about a year ago um, in federal court in Billings, Montana. Kara, summarize for the audience those who loved Christie's pursuit of justice, how they went about it and what briefly happened. Well, one thing I, I hope that's very clear once you listen to it is that Christy had many personal struggles in her life, but that didn't mean she was uh, alone or forgotten. She was beloved as a mother and a sister. When you say personal struggles, what do you mean? She was an addict. Mm-hmm. She and Gerard, um, like so many people that struggle with addiction, I, I think, as we were told, had a codependency on one another, and they drank um, heavily. We also know that uh, they both at times used methamphetamine. Um, so they had personal struggles, but they also had a, as Bo said, very long relationship. They had multiple children together. Um, what happened... Uh, remind me of your question, Major. So <laughs> those who loved Christy yes. wanted something to be done about her death. Yes, of course. They sought justice. How did that process begin? And briefly, where did it end up? Well, BIA, Bureau of Indian Affairs Police, responded to Gerard's mother's house the night that he drove Christy over there after he ran her over. From there, what would happen um, on any on, on tribal land is that when a major crime is committed, such as someone being dead, uh, federal investigators take up an investigation. That's either going to be BIA federal investigators or FBI federal investigators. In this case, it was the FBI. And what happened uh, immediately that night, what we know is that Gerard was interviewed by uh, a criminal investigator on site for four minutes, um, which was striking to us. Four minutes. For a four-minute-long interview for a man who had admitted to running over uh, a woman. Um, I, I've said this to Bo many times. I could spend ten minutes on what you had for breakfast mm-hmm. today, Major. Right. So that was stunning to us. And from there, uh, months. It was about five months that followed where there was no indictment uh, for Christie's death. Um, eventually, Gerard Three Fingers, uh, her partner was charged with involuntary manslaughter, um, and that was eventually taken to trial. And what happened at that trial? Uh, We were there for this day-and-a-half, two-day trial. Um, It consisted of about eight witnesses in total. Some of them were forensics experts. There was one witness uh, testimony. But really, the core of the trial that we focused on were three officer testimonies that responded that night to Gerard's mother's house. Um, And there were just remarkable omissions that were revealed uh, on the stand. Um, Major, what seemed like obvious mistakes were made. Um, No one uh, collected Gerard's blood alcohol content that night. After, in that four-minute interview, he admitted to drinking a couple bottles of alcohol that day. No one got his official blood sample. a couple of drinks, a couple of bottles. A couple of bottles, exactly. Um, Leading one to my reasonably ask, might you be intoxicated? Exactly. And, and might we want to confirm this? And might that... For the record. And might that impact your driving, your, or your perception, judgment, or your, your judgment. memory. Exactly. None exactly. of that happened. None of that happens. There was no way to legally prove that Gerard was intoxicated. So think about what the jury is hearing in, in that moment. They were presented uh, with a case that uh, because Christie was deceased, her blood alcohol content was tested and they found that she was also legally intoxicated. They also found that she had methamphetamine in her system. Those statistics were given to the jury about Christy, the victim in this case, but not about Gerard, the perpetrator in this case. So Bo, uh, a bigger picture question that also vectors off everything that Kara and I just discussed. So there are those uh, in tribal leadership people who have studied the history of this relationship, who describe it diplomatically as paternal. These treaties create this requirement and aura of trust, but it's a kind of a paternal relationship with dimensions of indifference. Parents who have a responsibility but who really don't care. And I wonder, in your experience covering this story and looking at this issue broadly, one of the things you're trying to convey in this Missing Justice podcast is, yes, it's paternal, and oftentimes it's indifferent. 
systematically indifferent. And indifferent would be a nice way to put it from a lot of the tribal leaders that we've spoken with. Karen and I were calling That's for... That's the a, best thing they would say yes, about it. Yes, that would be a compliment, yeah, basically. Yeah, on the best days, it's yes. indifferent. Karen and I talked and called tribal leaders throughout the whole country that have this federal uh, law enforcement system. We spoke to at least 30 tribal leaders from 30 different reservations. And it was just shocking and just made me feel so stupid that I wasn't aware of this system until I really started looking into it because everyone was saying the exact same thing. This agency is understaffed. There is a huge issue of trust between the tribal community and this federal agency that is run out of D.C. and that nothing is really structurally being done to address it. And a large part of this is because not many people know about the system outside of Indian country. We have one former BIA official, Bureau of Indian Affairs official, who says no one gives about Indian country but us. He's a native person from Montana. And that is a lot of the sentiment that we heard over and over again in conversations. Can I also add to that? Please. What was also on repeat that we heard was, uh, you know, you, you, you talked about indifference and a system being broken. What a lot of Native folks said to us is that this is actually the system working in that we talked about uh, the historical ramifications of, of this story and what it's like to be a Native American today. These were people that were systemically, systematically cast aside uh, and whether we saw, you know, great reporting. In other words, the system reflects those intentions. Exactly, and and it's it's a ripple effect uh, when Native Americans were, you know, separated from their land, when they were taken to boarding schools and stripped of their cultural identities, their language, their hairstyles, their 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 diets. That you know, forced to eat different kinds of foods. We were told time and time again that this crisis of missing and murdered indigenous people is just the most contemporary example of discrimination towards Native American people. Mm -hmm. And one other thing, Kara, and we're about 30 seconds before we go to break. There's also this idea if someone goes missing in these particular areas, there are no cameras. Nobody shows up. Meanwhile, they see... Anglo missing people, even African-American missing people, but very rarely a Native person. Yeah, it's right now there's a huge national story about four white kids that were murdered in Idaho. You know, not 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 New York City, but Idaho. In the middle of our reporting, Gabby Petito went missing and every person brought up to us. I'm so happy that Gabby's family has peace. They know what happened to her. But why can't it happen here? Why can't we get that attention here? Why can't it happen here? That is one of the thematic questions raised by the podcast Missing Justice. It's reporters and authors, Kara Cordy and Bo Erickson are our guests. More of our conversation on the other side of this break. I'm Major Garrett. This is The Taking. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. From CBS News, this is The Takeout with Major Garrett. Rennie questioned if the BIA was properly investigating Christie's case, and she feared that the chances of Gerard being charged got slimmer with every day that passed. That's where the lack is, you know, when they investigate. They don't do a thorough job. And me, I'm I'm like a 48-hour type of person. Get everything you can in that within that time frame. Don't leave any stones unturned, you know. I watch these programs, so why can't it happen here? Welcome back to The Takeout. Riss is our host restaurant. This is a heavy topic, so we're not having lunch. 
We're just going to have water and coffee because it feels appropriate to us to proceed that way, but we're always grateful for hospitality extended to us by RIS here in downtown D.C. Kara Cordy, what we heard is your voice there just a moment ago talking to Rennie Pena. Who's Rennie Pena? And this underlying question of investigatory steps that are basic that anyone who watches a popular TV show, 48 Hours, product placement, knows about. And yet, walk our audience through the observation not only of Rennie Pena, but others about basic things that simply didn't happen Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. in this particular case. So frustrating. You can hear it in your voice. Um, Rennie Pena was the tribal president of Northern Cheyenne when Christie died in 2020, which is the highest elected official uh, at at Northern Cheyenne. She was also Christie's neighbor. She lived across the street from Christie, and she knew uh, Gerard for his entire life. So she is really entrenched in this story. Um, And she was instrumental in forcing those BIA investigators to find justice for for Christie, to arrest Gerard, to do something, essentially, because there were five months where no one really heard from BIA investigators. Uh, I think it's also critical to remember uh, that Rennie... She's no longer the Northern China tribal president, but she is a delegate in what's her role now? She was a state representative in Montana. So she's actually gone into the statewide system then, ran for office, and she represented the Northern Cheyenne area in the state legislature. Right. To try to, right. amongst so many So let's go races. through some of the basics. We mentioned earlier that the interview was four minutes, which is less time than most people on a Monday talk about the Sunday football games when it's football season. Yes. So there's that. There was no registration or attempt to register for the record the potential defendant who ultimately became the defendant, Gerard David Threefinger's blood alcohol level. What else, Bo, didn't happen? Uh, we found out. It would fall into the category of basic. We found out at trial that the three BIA federal agents that uh, testified at trial, none of them wrote a police report. No one documented there's, there's what happened. There's a dead body. Yes. In their jurisdiction, and none of them wrote a report. Yes. And then, so we and are. Think s- about what that means at trial. Yes. There's and so, no official record right. of what happened that night. Right. And so we're sitting there in the courtroom with Christie's large family sitting on the other side of the gallery from us and this is the first time that anyone is hearing how these agents actually investigated because there were questions about how they investigated from the family but this is actually proof these are the agents admitting to doing it this way and then this all kind of ramped up into this last agent talking about this car that ran Christie over Gerard's car how they took the car away from the crime scene is not by calling a tow truck and removing it and trying to keep the uh, evidence as crystal clear as it is on the car this federal agent actually drove the car and parked it in a parking lot outside the BIA police station in the main town on the reservation not wearing gloves but he literally drove the car and when we heard the agent say this we just heard saw Christie's family just like drop their heads because it was like whoa and I say in the podcast, and we said in the moment, we were whispering to each other, being like, uh, I watch CSI, I watch 48 Hours. We could probably clear this crime scene and process this crime scene at least this well. But these agents are trained to do it much better by the book. There's a 650-page book about how they're supposed to clear uh, investigations, and that was not done. And let's just talk about this for a second. So this is a vehicle clearly involved in the death of another human being it would be the central repository of any relevant evidence exactly that would clear the potential defendant or confirm that defendant's guilt so it's central to the entire question right and it's driven by someone who is not looking out for ways to not contaminate that evidence no gloves and then left outside in the elements for a very long time. Meaning, as a piece of evidence, it's destroyed. Yes. It's no longer relevant. And what we're hitting at here is that, you know, I grew up in Marshall, Minnesota, not far from a reservation. But if I was ran over in Marshall, Minnesota, there would be no question if my death would be investigated and if there would ultimately potentially be justice delivered. 
regularly on Northern Cheyenne and many reservations, there is a big question of if the agents are even going to show up, the agents from the BIA or the FBI. There's been a lot of criticism in the FBI. We don't really cover that in our uh, our specific case here. But there's a question if they show up, we and then we don't really know usually how the investigation happens because it's actually very rare for these cases in Indian country to ever make it to trial uh, for a whole host of reasons. But according to the Justice Department, there are uh, reports every year about the prosecution declination rates, the U.S. attorneys declining to bring these cases. Uh, 64% of the 1,000 cases that were recently declined in one year was for insufficient evidence. So this is one case of many. Who knows what else has happened in other cases? Well, when you don't gather evidence, then there's insufficient evidence. One follows the other. Kara, correct? Exactly. And that, again, as I said before, this is not some great mystery as to how Christie died. That's not what this story is. What this story is a look at the system, incompetencies, carelessness, uh, lack of training, lack of resources, whatever reasons you want to prescribe to this missing and murdered indigenous peoples crisis. This is a story that is, has got it all basically. And the result is that the trial that we saw, I, 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 I don't know. Well, I'll put it this way. If that was my sister or my mother or, uh, someone I loved who was killed and I had to sit in that gallery, I would never say this was a fair trial. And it was for reasons like lack of evidence or lack of reports. And the defendant, Gerard David Three Fingers, had a public defender. An aggressive one, as I listened to your podcast. Very skillful. Very skillful, who did what any competent defense attorney would do. Drive a truck through holes in the prosecution's case. Holes created by the lack of basic investigative maneuvers from the, from the start. Yeah, and I hope that's clear in the podcast. I, I hope we transferred our feeling of being in the trial, which was very quickly. I mean, the public defender did what the public defender is supposed to do. 100%. She, 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 as you said, she found all of the blemishes and she just shined a light on them. And our feeling in the trial very quickly was, oh, we see what the strategy is here. It was to um, highlight... Uh, Christie and and choices that Christie had made, like the fact that she was drunk, that she was uh, tested positive for meth. Christie was described as aggressive and assaultive. Um, You know, no one did the same for Gerard's behavior because there was no way to officially confirm how Gerard was was acting. Well, there were no witnesses to this. Uh, There were no witnesses to the direct incident. There was a witness brought forward of earlier in the night that there was some squabble between Christy and another woman, and she just kind of talked about that moment. Um, But there's no specific witnesses, and I should just mention real quickly, the bar that they were trying to prove was for, he was charged for involuntary manslaughter. So intent upon the charge didn't even matter, that he didn't have to intend to run Christy over. Mm -hmm. And that was never argued in court that he intended to do that. So the bar was much lower that the jury had to consider. Which was that he acted recklessly, and it resulted in someone's death. Right. And it would seem, based on my listening and the recording of the factual evidence, that nobody disputes that could have been a prosecutable offense and a jury might have, under different circumstances, with harder evidence, found him guilty, but it did not. Kara Cordy and Bo Erickson are my guests. Missing Justice is their excellent podcast segment for the takeout from our host, Restaurant Risks, coming to you in just one second. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress-them-on-the-third-date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders, while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. (sighs) The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. 
It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. From CBS News, this is The Takeout with Major Garrett. Do you think, John, the lack of officers, the lack of resources, is that something that a quote-unquote bad guy could be aware of? That if I'm trying to get away with something, I know the right time to do it. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, there's people here that know the system better than the officers do. There's people here that know that the jail's closed. Welcome back to The Takeout. That was another piece of sound from the excellent podcast, Missing Justice. It's reporters and authors, Kara Cordy, Bo Erickson, colleagues of mine at CBS News are with us. Kara, we heard your voice again talking to John Grinzel, not only about resources, but about if you wanted to get away with something and you knew the system, could you? Sounds like the essence of what you were trying to get at. Yeah. What's the answer to that? John said, absolutely. John... John, uh, uh, was a former BIA police officer, uh, investigator, even police chief. He had worked on numerous reservations throughout his long career, including on Northern Cheyenne. And when he retired a couple of years ago, he immediately went to work privately for the Northern Cheyenne tribe. He runs what's called the NCIS, which is the Northern Cheyenne Investigative Services. And what he is basically there is to supplement the BIA, the tribal uh, uh, government doesn't trust the BIA, and John's been brought in to basically fill in any gaps to solve problems. So for that community, he would be a trusted source because he knew the Bureau of Indian Affairs methods, good or bad, indifferent or otherwise, and is now an advisor or eyes and ears on whatever the Bureau of Indian Affairs police does or doesn't do in future cases. Right, Bo? Yes, he's an expert voice, and he knows the system. And remember... He can talk more candidly about it now, too. He he can definitely talk more candidly about it. But, like, for us, too, we just have to understand the system. And it's so complicated because it's a federal system that's run out of Washington, D.C. So a lot of the decisions that are made, like, there's a lot of code words and titles and things like that. So he is kind of taking that information, translating it to the tribal Mm -hmm. leadership so they can try to make informed questions, informed asks, and try to change the the system that currently is, or at least ask for more resources. And that sentiment of can bad guys exploit the lack of police resources here we did not just hear that from Northern Cheyenne. Mm -hmm. We heard that from multiple reservations across the country. And we'll get to the resource question in a moment, but it strikes me that for you and Kara, this was possibly unfamiliar terrain, not only in terms of its history, its geography, its language, and its traditions. Did you lean on someone to help you cover all that ground and cover it with appropriate curiosity and sensitivity? Yeah, thank you for that question, because this is something that was very important to Kara and I from uh, starting 19 months ago when we started this. Um, We both grew up in the Midwest. I grew up a little bit closer to Indian country than Kara did in Minnesota. And I was familiar with the system, but nothing as to these specifics. And so when we really started researching this, we just knew that there was so much culturally so much life experience that we did not have for and for those listeners at home we are both two white reporters um so we worked with a woman named dr iris pretty paint she's actually a double phd she's a member of the blackfeet nation in montana and her uh, specific expertise is in cultural resiliency trying to put um into focus into context everything that's happened with this country and what the federal government has done to Native communities throughout the country, try to put into some type of context about how these communities move forward. Mm-hmm. Um, there's an, there's a, an, a term called intergenerational trauma mm-hmm. and about how um, when you grow up on the reservations and you grow up in a, in a Native community, you have this intergenerational trauma of what your family members or your ancestors before you uh, went through and what the federal government did to them. We obviously do not have that same experience. No. And so 
Throughout the reporting process, throughout the production of this podcast, we had been consulting with Dr. Iris Pretty Paint, having really good conversations with her about, you know, this is this is what we kind of see it as. What is what don't we know? And she we would have hour long conversations with her. And that is where I really learned a lot here. And you kind of sit back at the end of the day and Kara and I talk and it's just like, you know, we know how to cover the federal government and we 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 really like to hold people accountable here in D.C. But we just felt personally so stupid not knowing a lot about this Mm -hmm. process because it was never taught to us it's never discussed and it is so complex so having her help painful and painful having her help put all of those different notes together so we could better understand it carrie cover the Kara, cover the resource part of this and, and paint a picture of so if you live in a urban part of the United States, or even a semi-urban part of the United States, you pick up the phone or you have your cell phone and you call the cops. That's right. You have a reasonable expectation of them showing up within the next 5 to 15 minutes. Reasonable. Yes. Not guaranteed, but a reasonable expectation. Not, not true on the res. Well, even just that distinction of you call the cops, what number do you call right. when there's an emergency major? 911. Yes. That is not the number for the police on the Northern Cheyenne tribe. So again, we talk about these cultural differences. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, they don't call 911. Uh, when we, when we look at that trial, Gerard's trial, and we talk about the mistakes that were made uh, by police officers, we wanted to know why. How, how, how could this happen? And, you know, there are two sides. Well, some people say there are three sides to every story. And we wanted to know what circumstances had to be occurring to lead to such blatant mistakes. Surely something is going on here. Because, and this is also important to note, the majority of BIA officers are Native people. So it, it's... It, it's the majority of BIA officers are native people. So when it comes to resources, we were just told from by, by folks like John Grinsell that these officers are set up to fail. They're understaffed, they're overworked, they're underpaid. Uh, so it's very common that they cut corners and make mistakes. Something like calling for, for help. Uh, on Northern Cheyenne, we were told that if a cop comes in 30 minutes, that's good. That's considered a really good response time because they're so backed up. There are so few officers working at any given time. Uh, this is a, a reservation the size of Houston, Texas. Mm-hmm. And there are only a handful, three officers working at any given time. So imagine if there were three officers in Houston, Texas. Obviously not as many people, but you still have to travel from place to matters. place. Exactly. And so that's and why... I also, and I also, real quickly, uh, it's not as if there, there are fixed residences, but it's not as if the directions to that fixed residence are easy. I mean, when, when we were trying to get around, uh, we were calling, you know, meeting people at their homes, at churches, wherever. What's your address? I don't really have an address. Or the address won't work if you put it in your phone. Uh, we got lost almost every time we were trying to go somewhere. Uh, so... Imagine what happens if you're in a crisis and you call the police for help and they don't come for 30 minutes. What, or what's, an hour. Or, or two an hours. hour. Or at all. Or at what all. What is your reaction going to be? What is the reputation of the police then going to be? So that fuels a lot of then animosity between these communities and the police. Many, many issues at the heart of Missing Justice, an outstanding podcast put together by my colleagues at CBS News, Kara Cordy and Bo Erickson. For our radio audience, we need to say farewell for those on CBS News streaming and our podcast platform. Stay tuned, as I all know you always do, for the takeout outtake especial and Major Garrett, and we will see you next week. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. 
Hyundai. There's joy in every journey. From CBS News, this is The Takeout with Major Garrett. Welcome to your Takeout Outtake Especial. My guests this week, Kara Cordy, Bo Erickson, my colleagues at CBS News. They are the reporters and authors of Missing Justice, an outstanding new podcast just released by CBS News. Five episodes available so far. The sixth will come out next week. Whenever you hear this, listen to all six. You will learn a lot about a topic you may not be familiar with. Justice is a topic we're all familiar with. We all want to find it. We all want it to be achieved when an injustice has occurred. This is really about the systemic problems and obtaining even basic elemental justice among Native people on Native lands in this country. Kara, Bo, it's interesting that you did this. We've had kind of a story about how you approached it journalistically. Because the Outtake Especial tends to have a pop culture aspect to it, these topics are now in our pop culture mentality being more frequently explored. Yellowstone explores them. Longmire, a program I'm very familiar with, explores them in different ways. There are movies about this. Is America and our pop culture sensibilities orienting itself different to this history? Bo? I think there's a growing awareness among non-Native people mm-hmm. for this specific crisis that's happening, the missing and murdered Indigenous peoples crisis. Um, these are obviously not new concepts for Native communities all throughout. Uh, I think there is a high uh, bar of knowledge that needs to be attained for you know people in media to even feel comfortable mm-hmm. talking about these issues. Right. So um, I think, you know, those are way bigger problems than we can get into right now. But it does feel like there is more attention being paid for. There's going to be a m- new movie by Martin Scorsese coming out next year to talk about the, the backstory of some of these federal uh, law enforcement What's agencies. Uh, that one's called Killers of a Flower Moon, hopefully coming out next Killers year. Killers of a Flower Our Moon. moon okay. Based on, based on oh, a book. The same title. Ba- okay. Based on a book. But, you know, you mentioned Yellowstone as well. These these issues of the missing and murdered indigenous people's crisis are in Yellowstone. And so when we go around and we ask uh, Native folks about those, there's a varying degrees of uh, welcome, welcoming to, mm-hmm. <laughs> to, uh, to this kind of pop culture element here. Yeah, I'm sure um, there's part of it is where have you been? A hundred percent. A hundred percent. And they just really, uh, you know, want media and pop culture stay away from all those horrible tropes about their I think that that's the tricky thing as well is that uh, it's wonderful that as you said pop culture is beginning to uh, highlight some of these issues but then uh, you know these are not the uh, most sugary stories these are rough and and you know there are also shows like uh, Reservation Dogs um, Mm -hmm. and uh, I know there's a comedy on Peacock that that's written by uh, a, a primary uh, a Native American uh, woman is the primary writer of that series. I believe she stars in it as well. I can't remember what it's called right now, but I think what's really great is hopefully we will see just as much as there are these depictions of the harshest realities. There are depictions that celebrate the amazing culture that we experience just going to a, a Native American powwow of the music and, mm-hmm. and, and the regalia, the dress, the, the food. There are so many. This is our history. This is American culture, and so few of us know it. And if you spend any time reading the wisdom, the collected wisdom of Native peoples in this country, it's beautiful. Yes. They have a very strong orientation to the longevity of life, the flow of life the interrelationship of generations, the interrelationship of man to animal, to plant, to the world around them. It's integrated, it's humble. There's a tremendous inspirational beauty in it, I've found. Certainly. I, I... Uh, you know, my my day job is covering climate, and in that I cover the Interior Department, and when Deb Holland, the current uh, uh, Interior Secretary, who is a Native woman herself, she belongs to the Laguna Pueblo tribe in New Mexico... I wrote a story about what, when she was appointed, how, what that means for Native people, but also culturally that alignment of how it re- the harmony of a Native American running the Interior Department, which oversees our lands, uh, was very poetic to many, many people. And I was just going to say, incredibly welcoming. When we showed up at this powwow in North Dakota, where a 
bunch of dancers came together and what a pow is just really quickly it's essentially a competitive dance competition with all of these historical dances and it, they compete uh, there we uh, I've never been to a pow before and so we're going around asking people everyone at this pow was just so happy we were there asking questions they loved when members of the North Dakota public were showing up there the same thing we experienced in Northern Cheyenne uh, everyone was just really happy that we were asking questions to them trying to uh, put a spotlight on this community and one quick point is that you know these communities look like a lot of other communities throughout the country the towns that we were in lame deer montana northern cheyenne looks like a small town from marshall minnesota as well that i grew up in and so it is not this far distant off community that no one has any type of sense of how they can picture it this looks like america this is america a lot of folks said to us when they heard we were doing this or who have now heard the the podcast said to us how did you break into these communities how how did you get these people to trust you these people are screaming at the top of their lungs to for seen. someone to listen to them and look at them. Exactly. It, to be seen and heard. It, it, we did not have to crack some code mm-hmm. to get a hold of these folks. So to show up and ask. Yes. Exactly. That's where a lot of really great journalism begins, ladies and gentlemen. You first show up, then you ask. And lots of things can happen from there. And Bo Erickson and Kara Cordy, my colleagues at CBS News, have set that in motion. I highly recommend Missing Justice. Find the podcast. You will not regret it. I'm Major Garrett. So concludes our Takeout Outtake Especial. Kara, Bo, thanks so much. We'll see you next week. The Takeout is produced by Arden Fari, Jamie Benson, Sarah Cook, Ellie Watson, Jake Rosen, and Ashley Armstrong. CBSN production by Eric Susanen. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Takeout Podcast. That's at Takeout Podcast. And for more, go to takeoutpodcast.com. The Takeout is a production of CBS News. If you like The Takeout, you can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Prime members can listen ad-free on Amazon Music. Before you go, tell us about yourself by filling out a short survey at wondery.com survey. I'm CBS News correspondent Major Garrett, host of the podcast Agent of Betrayal, The Double Life of Robert Hansen. During the Cold War, FBI agent Robert Hansen traded classified secrets to the Kremlin in exchange for cash and jewels. In the podcast, you'll hear from Hansen's closest friends, family members, victims, and colleagues for the most comprehensive telling of who Robert Hansen really was. Binge the entire series now. Agent of Betrayal, The Double Life of Robert Hansen is available on the Wondery app, Amazon Music, or wherever you get your podcasts. A story of betrayal you would struggle to believe if it wasn't true. Listen to Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings, wherever you get your podcasts.